Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape. I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. And I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. Each week, we take a look at the texts, we talk about those texts, and then we offer up a special musical offering related to those texts. This week, we're talking about the very human experience of insecurity. We're talking about the justification of God through Christ. And we're talking about Jesus walking through these very things in his own trials. The text for the first Sunday of Lent come from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19, and Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Well, our first reading comes from the book of Genesis. This is chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, and then we jump ahead to chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Jumping ahead to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Well... Oh, that serpent. That serpent. I mean, so... A couple, a couple things, I guess, uh, that we can do. Uh, one is we can talk about how this is not that uh, women are the source of all the troubles of the world and the source of original sin. <laughs> um, it's not Eve's fault. Uh, notice that it says that her husband, who was with her, also ate. <laughs> like, Adam's right there, you know? So... Um, this is not, uh, temptation and <laughs> yeah. such. If, if, yeah, if anything, Adam is behaving less remarkably than Eve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you could just imagine Adam sitting there as the serpent's like, yeah, it's okay. God said, you know, you, you probably do want to eat this fruit. And Adam's just like, uh-huh. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Like I just imagine him like half asleep. <laughs> nodding his head yeah yeah fruit whatever cool man <laughs> well i don't even imagine him 
disengaged. I imagine him hearing everything unfold and being like, oh yeah, that tracks. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So yeah, so when when Adam is that disengaged, um, I feel like there's not much for us to to learn from it, but when Adam is engaged um, and is thinking about this process, then we can see that um, we can see that temptation like this doesn't belong only to Eve, but it belongs to all of humanity, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I, I think our temptation, uh, as I believe there is one here, is to push all of this onto Eve so that it's not on us. Mm -hmm. Here's something that's happening, and it's simply because there was one person somewhere else, sometime else, that wasn't trying as hard as I am or wasn't uh, working as hard as I am or wasn't uh, smart as smart as I am or anything else. Um, and while it's easy to read this text and say like, no, I definitely could have passed that test. Um, it's also foolish to think that this, this text is trying to assign blame to a certain person. Mm -hmm. This text is talking about all of humanity. Yeah. I mean, especially like you get to the end of the chapter and that's exactly what happens. Um, I like the way, I'm not sure if I'm going to use it for my mixtape track or not, but, um, there's a song by the hold steady called the cattle and the creeping things. And, uh, the way this story is recounted is I heard the dude blame. I heard the dude blame the chick, the chick blame the snake. And I heard they were naked when they got busted. Um, like <laughs> God says, Hey, Adam, what'd you do? And he kind of blames Eve and also kind of blames God. Like that woman that you gave me, she did it. And then God's like, yeah. hey, Eve, why'd you do it? And she's like, that snake that you put here told me to do it. And like, mm -hmm. it's that propensity to, we want to shift the blame. We don't want to take responsibility for our actions. So I guess my first question is like, in the context of whenever I hear explanations like that and I don't, I just don't buy them at all. I'm like, okay, what's behind this? You know, mm -hmm. so in, Adam, Eve, I'm not sure I buy either of your explanations. Um, so what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so is that getting at the root of what exactly was it that they were desiring? Why did they want the knowledge of good and evil, and why was that a bad thing? Well, I think it might be that and um why are you lying? Mhm-, mm yeah, like what yeah, and I think it's shame, like shame comes into this, like I love that that's the first result of knowledge of good and evil, like they want to be like God, and the first thing they realize is how much they're not. Um, that they yeah. realize they're mm -hmm. naked, they're ashamed of their nakedness, and so they immediately make for themselves some clothes. And yeah, I wonder if that's a way of thinking about original sin in that sense, that it is um, opening ourselves up to shame of not feeling like we are good enough, uh, needing to evaluate whether or not we are good or evil, uh, rather than resting on the promises of God's judgment, which is, uh, a little bit better than our own. Yeah. Yeah. Like in this knowledge of good and evil, we get this understanding that we're not God. 
I also think that in this knowledge of good and evil, we come to an understanding of our flaws and our sin, you know? Mm -hmm. And we're left with the, the desire and the responsibility to do something with that. I think, I think it's significant that this is the first time that Adam and Eve have insecurity. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't feel that before. And now here they're, they're very unsure of where they stand and of who God is and who they are and what that relationship looks like. And, and everything that happens through that insecurity starts spiraling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to jump ahead a bit, you see Cain and Abel and that murder comes out of envy. You know, the Cain thinks that Abel's sacrifice is more pleasing to God. It sees that and gets jealous, that insecurity and shame. Mm-hmm. At the heart, I mean, this, this is our, one of our foundational stories that every other story is built on, right? Mm -hmm. And at the heart of it, we're finding issues of insecurity and issues of shame and issues of, in one moment, viewing ourselves as potentially equal to God and in the next moment, realizing harshly that we're nowhere close. Mm-hmm. I, I think these these strands, these few things follow us throughout scripture. But I think also, so do God's actions. Mm -hmm. I've always seen kind of like the precipitating actions of God as rather harsh. Um, you know, I always think about the punishment, having to leave the garden, having to work the field, uh, pain in various parts of life. But I also think God's first and initial move is very caring. He asks them what's going on. He gives them an opportunity to voice their insecurity, to voice what they're feeling and why they're acting and stuff like that, which is an incredibly gracious thing to do. Mm -hmm. You get to stand before the God of heaven and earth already wrong. And instead of immediate judgment, there is an opportunity to have a conversation. Yeah. which is a very gentle and gracious thing towards a human. Yeah, and even as they leave the garden, God gives them better clothes in order to yeah. conceal their shame. Like, not because God is ashamed of them, but recognizing their own feelings of shame. Mm-hmm. And in a very nice way, like, the punishment also defines them. Mm-hmm which I don't love <laughs> that marriage. Like I don't love it at all. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a way that Adam and Eve can come to self-understanding. And in that, there's a, a little bit more security than they're currently understanding, you know? Mm -hmm. It's kind of a reestablishment. Should we hop over to Romans? Yeah, let's do it. All right. All right, the second reading for the first Sunday in Lent comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. And this is the uh, New English translation. 
So then, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But there is no accounting for sin when there is no law. Yet death reigned. From Adam until Moses, even over those who did not sin, in the same way that Adam, who is a type of the one coming, transgressed. But the gracious gift is not like the transgression. For if the many died through the transgression of the one man, how much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, multiply to the many? And the gift is not like the one who sinned. For judgment resulting from the one transgression led to condemnation. But the gracious gift from the many failures led to justification. For if by the transgression of the one man death reigned through the one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as condemnation for all people came through one transgression, so too through the one righteous act came righteousness leading to life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of the one man made many, I'm sorry, for just as though the disobedience of the one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man will many be made righteous. Paul seems to think it's Adam's fault. Uh huh. Yeah. What you know, we don't hear a lot when we're reading the Genesis text. I've heard it plenty when we're reading Paul, but when we're actually reading the Genesis text, we always point to Eve. Well, and, and my point being, not that I think Paul actually thinks it's Adam's fault, nor do I think Paul actually thinks it's Eve's fault. Mm -hmm. Whenever we point to this single person, I believe, kind of, well, not kind of as a scholar, as a scholar, we're pointing to the story. Mm-hmm. And I think it's significant for Paul that in one story we have a single act for all of humanity, and now in Christ we have a single act for all of humanity, and the way that those two seem remarkably balanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then he's... Yeah. Yep. I don't know. It's just like... <laughs> I, I feel like, like I, I have something to say, Dan. I'm just like going back and forth. I have a couple different thoughts and they're just trying to get through the door at the same time. Uh, so the one sure. is that like Paul is not interested in assigning blame, like you're saying, uh, and particularly to whether or not it was a man's fault or a woman's fault. Therefore, we should put the blame on a particular gender and be extra cautious of temptresses and such or whatever like obviously that's not where paul is going and yet somehow that's where we go which is um you know maybe maybe to get a little meta about it is the whole um wanting to judge good and evil kind of thing and be like god and so we make our own warped assessments of what's right and what's wrong and what we should be weary of and such but that's a whole nother thing okay. but the other thing about this and this is going a little bit uh, to another place here is how 
universal the implications of this argument are. Like, especially the last two verses that we read, um, just as one, my translation has, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Um, and that the goal of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus's redemption and his righteousness to use this language is for all the world to be saved, uh, all the world to be made right, not for us to sequester ourselves and be better and better and better. It's not a secret password that if we, not to pick on anybody, but to confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts. And if we say the magic words, then we get to go to heaven. And that's what God wants us to do, teaching us a secret handshake or something. But no, it's for all the world. That's the goal. Um, and we lose the point when we sequester ourselves. This small piece of Paul is inside the larger context of what does it mean I think a central question of what does it mean for us to be sinful people? Mm -hmm. Right? Like Paul still is dealing with this issue of like, what does it mean for us to have sin as a part of us? What does it mean for our identity between one another and be between us and God? And so still this many years after this, this original story, um, found its place at the center of faith I'm sorry the the Genesis story found itself at the uh, a place at the center of our faith we're still struggling with this issue of who are we if we are these sinful people mm. now in front of Christ Paul's saying that the sinfulness is not the thing that defines us mm-hmm what defines us as human beings is a God who claims us. So that mm. righteousness, that, that, that justification, that grace that's given over to us in Christ is a definition of who we are. And I, I'm not like, I understand um, the turn of phrase, but I've, I've not often liked the phrase, it's not who we are, but whose we are. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not sure the ownership language is what's meant to come out of it. I think the language that's meant to come out of it is a God who has the authority to define heaven and earth however God sees fit. And God defining us as justified and righteous as we are. Mm. Yeah, are we, are we getting back to the um, judging good and evil for ourselves kind of a thing? Like not trusting God's judgment versus our own which is well, warped I think by shame finally, and such yeah i think we're finally understanding that though we may have the quote-unquote knowledge between good and evil we don't have the judgment seat of the knowledge between good and evil that alone belongs to god hmm. and we've been we've been living as if we had both mm -hmm. gospel time it can be. Do you have anything else for the text? No. <laughs> no, I do not. All right. All right. I don't know. Okay. If you do, that's great. No, I don't have a whole lot well, on no, this. I, I, yeah, I just, the issue of identity is coming out for me, but I think we're going to uh -huh. see it in the gospel too. So let's, let's go on. What a segue.
Well, the gospel reading for the first Sunday of Lent comes from Matthew, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was famished. The tempter came in and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the high point of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will lift you up, so that, the, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Once again it is written, You are not to put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the, kingdoms of the world and their grandeur. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you throw yourself to the ground and worship me. Jesus said to him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, You are to worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil left him, and angels came and began ministering to his needs. Okay, cool. Um... I don't know, a few things, a uh, little redaction criticism. The The final note is always really important. It's the, the big finale. Uh, and in Luke's gospel, it's the jumping off of the temple in order to make a spectacle and all of that. And then in Matthew's, it's bow down, worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Uh, and so I think that's the, the final note that Matthew wants us to to be left with. And so what does it look like for what kind of, how will Jesus achieve and preserve his authority over the world? Um, and it is not by uh, compromising his ideals. It is not by um, making a spectacle of himself. It is not by might makes right. I'm going to conquer and then use my power. It is through humble self-giving service. Uh, and, I think a nice bookend to all of this is if you go to the very end of Matthew's gospel, you get Jesus post-resurrection who begins his great commission with all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Uh, and it's very different from mm. this way as it's presented. Uh, and you can, that could be kind of a cool foreshadowing kind of a sermon, like as we're journeying toward yeah. the cross, like this is what Jesus's authority the, the base of his authority. And truly these things were not the devils to give. Mm. I've heard so many sermons that imply otherwise. And I understand the texts that we, we point to, uh, to get to that moment, but especially in the bookends that you mentioned, but also in this moment right here, it just doesn't seem like that's the way forward. You know, if, if Christ had to go through the uh, go through Satan in order to retrieve this power, then we'd have some co sort of interaction after this. <laughs> but but it doesn't seem to be that Christ has to go through Satan for this power. It seems like this power is with God already. Yeah, but at the same time, I think it can very much feel like that's the case. 
like when you're despairing at the state of the world to be like, man, it feels like God's not in control. It feels like there's a, a tempter or a devil that has that's pulling the strings here. Um, oh, yeah. And I think that can be one way to talk about it. Um, and I can't remember if Matthew picks it up, but I know it's in Mark, but uh, Jesus does the whole thing about plundering the strong man's house. And so there's this sort of idea mm. of Jesus like, breaking into the devil's house and be like, I'm stealing back all my stuff. And so that could be something as well, but, but yeah, and maybe, and maybe that's part of the temptation to believe that, you know, God really isn't in control and caring for this world, uh, that that's part of the, the temptation there. This temptation story, when it's set, you know, in the same breath, as the temptation story we have in Genesis feels like it ought to speak to one another. At least the pericopes asking one temptation story to speak to another. Mm -hmm. And so do we have any indication of what they might be saying together? I think it is the, um, whose desires are you following? Like, do you want to become like God yourself? Uh, and here we have the son of God and even he spurns that, you know, he could have made a path for himself, but instead every quote that he, uh, shoots back at the devil is basically trust God, rely on God, trust that this is going to work out. Um, and that seems to be at least one of the issues with Adam and Eve in the garden story where they don't trust God. They want to know for themselves so they can make their own judgment. And in the end, they end up condemning and uh, revealing their own shame or at least feeling their own shame. That's a connection that I see. Yeah. I also find Jesus not as insecure as Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Especially when the devil is trying to point out Jesus's insecurities. You don't mm -hmm. have food. <laughs> yeah. You, know, uh, you don't, you, you're not wielding your power. You don't have the power of the world. Like trying to point out these things. And, and Jesus, Jesus, instead of trying to find these things and prove that he does have these things, instead does kind of this counterintuitive motion of, I don't need these things if they're gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that trust with God, that that relationship with God seems to be satisfactory for Christ. Yeah, as you were talking, it reminds me a bit of uh, the parable of the prodigal son. I know that's Luke, um, but like the older brother is ticked Same off. Same team, man. Same team. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But like the older brother, he gets ticked off because he's like, all this stuff was just wasted. And the father has to remind him, like, all that I have is yours. Like, even if it's not in your hands right now and you've inherited it from me, it's all yours. And maybe that's part of what Jesus's confidence is in, you know, like he's not king of the world, but he knows that all of it is God's and that he's the son of God. And yeah. I like that. I like that framing of the devil's temptation to be like, well, if you really are the son of God, just take it, just take it and yeah. use it rather than trust that it's been given to you. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the, one of the many implied, um, understandings of the devil here is if it if you're not using it for your own good and if you're not wielding power for your own self do you really have it mm -hmm. yeah yep and like the romans reading is nice but i kind of wish that we were doing philippians too then i guess you could swap it out if you really want to but the whole thing about the the kenosis of jesus emptying himself out that though he was uh, the son of God, he didn't regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Yeah. I mean, I, it doesn't look like we're going to get there in um, any time before Passion Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so it's it might be good to bookend our own selves uh, this Lenten journey with a, a pouring out here at the beginning and pouring out at the end. Yeah. Hmm. I know there's lots of different ways of, well, yeah, I, I know there's lots of different ways of uh, working with this text, but I think these issues of insecurity, at least for me, are coming through right now um, in a way that might be helpful in, in, the, in the community that I find myself in, you mm -hmm. know? A lot of folks feel um, insecure in who they are with the community around them but also who they are and what that means for them in the, in the greater context of the, the nation and the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A sermon could be very pastoral in that sense of, you know, it might seem like the world belongs to the devil, but it doesn't that kind of a thing. And, um, and that's what we can have hope in. I do like the connection to Philippians. Yeah, I'm thinking about swapping them. Yeah, that's that's intriguing. I hadn't I hadn't put those two together. <laughs> you know, Ben, that reminds me of a song. Nice. All right. Well, what are you uh, what are you feeling for a mixtape track? Well, uh, <laughs> um, kind of related to the pouring out, but uh, but not really at all. Uh, I went with "Bleed It Out" by Lincoln Park. Okay. Um, and and specifically because uh, there is this um, and and I'll I'll kind of. For all listeners out there, you know, choose the radio edit or the explicit edit. Do whatever you want. But um, there is this connection uh, between a person's own temptations uh, here in this uh, song and a real self-loathing um, that, that's there too. And, and a real sense of insecurity like, I don't like who I am and I don't like what's going on here. And... And no matter how hard the singer tries, it doesn't seem to go away. And so the 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 chorus is just a repetition of, I bleed it out, digging deeper just to throw it away. And and this is something we can't rid ourselves of.
Mm. We we don't have a means of ridding ourselves of insecurity before others and before God. We don't have a means of ridding ourselves um, by ourselves of the insecurity we have even internally. And so I think part of Lent, at least this first Sunday, seems to be coming to that understanding of both what's happening inside of ourselves and sometimes the futility of our own actions. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Well, uh, so I chose the song The Dark Sentencer by Coheed and Cambria. (laughs) Um, And so if you're not familiar with the works of Coheed and Cambria, um, they've been putting out music for like almost a decade. No, like almost 20 years now. Uh, and most of their albums are concept albums of like a space rock opera. So it's incredibly nerdy, uh, and also just really rocks. Um, this song, the description is the dark sentencer is a space rock song about the prison planet of the same name in which the two main characters try to escape. Uh, so that's what it is um and it starts with this like big epic there's like awesome shredding guitar and thumping bass drum and everything else it's pretty pretty epic um and the first verse goes uh, as it's describing uh to the prisoners who are coming to this prison planet here emotions behold you've entered a hell where the devil is made of gold Please don't run your mouth. The questions before have no place in this haunted house. Reveal your selfish pleasure. One more time round for good measure. In the answer you hold, time would be better off if our souls had been sold. Uh, And I chose this song because I think that this gets at uh, what the devil is trying to get at for Jesus, what he's trying to do there um, to make Jesus despair, uh, especially that line, reveal your selfish pleasure, like choose yourself. Um, Just despair that you're ever going to get out of this bad situation. And we can talk about that as the prison of sin, like, you know, just compromise Jesus, just make the most of what you got here and conquer and become the, the king of all the nations by sacrificing a little bit of your worship to me. Uh, And... That's kind of what I like. It rocks, man. man. It's so good. <laughs> like that's what I was gonna say. Like we both picked like heavy sound, like wall of sound music, in a very kind of angst-ridden uh, pericope. Mm-hmm. Are we not children of the '90s? Like, man. Heck yeah. Well, 
20 years. Yeah, right? That's so good. Uh, <laughs> I saw them at Warp Tour when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's the crowd that and I was knew? hanging with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get that and screamo in. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. And they're... And there, in the least likely of places, we find a gospel. Yeah. Oh, uh, 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 uh. Are we ever going to put out a blooper reel? Because this would be very good for it. Oh, yeah. That'd be good. Oh, wait. Here we go. I found it. It's a Night Vale tweet. <laughs> <laughs> and of course it is. Yeah, it's all good culture is. Um, better the devil you know than the one you don't. He's a pretty cool devil. He has a PlayStation and likes good beer. No idea about the other devil. I don't know. Maybe he's fine? (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Yeah. That, that That puts Matthew in a very different field, doesn't it? It sure does. Like, you know... Jesus is in this like desert place in a show- showdown with some guy sporting this like huge beard and like has a crowler of you know whatever thing he made himself and like an Xbox controller. You know? Okay, so now the devil just sounds like me, <laughs> yeah. like a home brewer who plays too many video games. Like, okay, cool, <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. Then, well, like, that's going to change my the, sermon. The unwritten words. Yeah. <laughs> the unwritten words of Matthew are not. They don't actually begin with you know. Uh, <laughs> if you're really the son of God, you command these stones to become bread. It actually begins with, "Hey, bro, we're out of Doritos." <laughs> <laughs> you pick and up then, some cooler ranch on the way over, to the <laughs> land party. Yeah. If you're really the son of God, you make this gnarly chalupa. <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> well i think that's gonna do it for us over here at lectionary mixtape yeah we've been done for a while yeah uh well join us next week as we take a look at the second uh sunday in lent yeah thanks for spending some time with us we hope at least part of it was enjoyable for you And I can't wait to talk with you again. Bye. Talk to you later.